This is Daniel Self, lead pastor of the Orchard Church, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Afterwards, if you would like and subscribe, or if you want more information on The Orchard or to support this ministry, find us at theorchardlife.com. Now know that we are praying for you today, that God would speak to you, and you would have a breakthrough. Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here, whether you're joining us live in the house, following online, or listening later in the week. We are so... We just are so grateful that you are with us, and we have been walking through the book of Exodus. We, were, we went through Genesis for a year, now we're going through Exodus, and if you've been with us on this journey, you know we just finished the Ten Commandments. If you're, if you're just joining us, that's okay. If this is a great time to jump in because today's sermon, our prayer every week is that you wouldn't come in here and hear some good music and some good preaching. Um, you're going to hear great music, but, but that's not what it's about. It's about having an encounter with an amazing God. And our prayer every week is not that you would just hear from me or hear our band, but you would have an encounter, a moment where God speaks to you, moves in you, convicts you, and that you would leave somehow different than the way you came in. That's, that's what this is about. And today as we go through today's sermon on the Ten Commandments as we sew them up, I hope that if you've been with us, you've seen that the Ten Commandments are more than just ten rules on a wall somewhere, that they have meaning not only for an ancient people but for us and for you. There, there's, there's roots about in the Ten Commandments of who God is and who he wants us to be and how he wants us to live. And I want to do something today that translates this entire book of Exodus and all we've been through so far, the second book of the Bible, to your story, to you. And I want to go through the major moments and themes of Exodus and, and I want you to put on a new lens today. Some of these elements and some of the, the things we're going to talk about might be familiar to you. And I want you to see them with a new lens. And if they're not familiar to you, I want you to, to hear this and, and know that it is speaking to you and your story as well. Because I don't just see this as a narrative of a people long ago, but it's something that God is doing today. And that's something that God wants to do in your life. I want you to see your story in this ancient book. And I was told today by, by one of my friends that, uh, that when, they, when I get excited and I have a lot to get through and I preach so fast, it's like listening to a podcast where you change the speed to like 1.5. And so I'm so sorry. I have so much to get to. And that's why we have podcasts. So you can go back and slow it down and listen to it in normal. Right. Okay. So here we go. Exodus 1. Exodus 1. Where do we find the people? They're in slavery. They're in bondage in Egypt and they have no hope of rescue. They have been in captivity for generation upon generation. What we see is their past has been slavery. Their present is slavery. And guess what? Their future is slavery. They have no way of getting themselves out of this. They can't work their way out of it. They can't fight their way out of it. They can't do enough good deeds or, or be good enough people to, to be released. They're going to be enslaved no matter how good they are. And that's the story of where Exodus starts a people who are in bondage with no hope of rescuing themselves. But God in his love and his kindness doesn't leave them there. He wants to do something. And he does something intriguing here. He brings in someone who is an outside insider into the story. And that person is Moses. And he, Moses is going to be God's mediator. A mediator is someone who goes between two parties. And Moses will go between the people and between God. He will be God's mouthpiece. He will act for God. He will speak for God. As he hears from God, he will then pass it on both to Pharaoh and all of the people there. And what does he do? He goes to Pharaoh. And you've seen the movie of Moses doing this. He said, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh, he's thrilled at this. No, his answer is pretty easy. No, there's no way. 
He has no intention of letting his slaves go. They, they make his food. They build his kingdom. They do everything for him. There's no way he's going to let them go. He, they are in bondage, and Pharaoh plans to keep them there. He will do anything in his power to keep them in slavery. So God continues to do miracle after miracle. And finally, God says, that's enough. And he's going to release the people from their slavery. In fact, what he's going to do, God is going to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. In an amazing turn of events, God tells the people to put the blood of an innocent lamb on the doorpost, the wooden post of their home, and that will save them as the, during Passover as death will pass them by and they will be saved. Through this blood sacrifice, they are saved. And then God begins to bring them out of slavery. He does for them what they never, ever could have done for themselves. And of course, the enemy did not like this. He wants his slaves back. And so Pharaoh pursues them. And what we saw in Exodus is this amazing moment where the people of God are, are leaving slavery behind, but their past is hunting them. Their past is pursuing them. Their slave master wants to capture them and bring them back to slavery. Their past is catching up to them to take them back and make them who they were before they were freed. And as it gets closer, Pharaoh, he and his army gets closer and closer. The Bible is clear that God himself as a pillar of fire moves behind the people between them and their past to guard them. God places himself between the people and the past that was pursuing them that no longer would they be defined by who they were or what was done in those days. And what does he do next? Well, they're at the Red Sea. They're trapped. But God opens. He splits the waters, and the people pass through the water. They pass through the water, and they come out on the other side. And as they did, the sea, it crashes down behind them, and with it, completely destroys and drowns their past. Pharaoh and his army that had enslaved them for generation upon generation were swallowed up by the work of God and his salvation, and, and, and no longer will he have any say in their life. They leave him and his armies there at that time, and they never face them again. After passing through the waters and their past is shattered, they begin to make this new life, and the Exodus starts to tell us that God is leading his people through the wilderness through Moses, God is leading them on this journey. He promises them that he's taking them somewhere, that there is breakthrough, there is promised land ahead. But before he takes them into the land, God wants to do some work in his people. There's some old strongholds in them that need to be broken before they get to the breakthrough. The people need deep work inside of them and discipleship and maturity they don't yet trust God. They don't have, have full faith that he will do what they, he says he will do. And so in the wilderness, God leads them. And as he leads them, he begins to reveal himself to them and teach them about who he is, his nature. He teaches them who he is, who they are, and he also tells them and shows them how to respond to him and, and how to follow him. The entire wilderness account is God growing his people up in maturity and discipleship to be who they need to be for what is ahead. And, and you think they would trust him, right? Of course they do. I mean, he's freed them from slavery 
He, he did for them what they could never do for themselves. If they want to know if he'll be there for them, they just have to look back at what he's done in the past, right? He, he, he passed them through the water. He crushed and defeated what was, and he's now leading them through the wilderness. And surely the God who saved them will, in the past will, will prove that he can provide for them in the present, right? I mean, we get this. We get it, right? We don't struggle with these things, but unfortunately, what we see is in these people, that in their immaturity and lack of trust and faith in God, they begin to complain and rebel. Again, not like any of us, not me especially. And, and, but, and part of the things that they complain about are very normal in life. We find that they're thirsty. Thirsty is a normal appetite. It's thirst is a necessity that, that we have in life. We have many necessities, and here they have one. And God wants to show his people he will provide for their necessities and needs. And so he gives them water. They begin to say they're hungry. Of course they are. They have natural needs and desires. And God begins to meet them where they are. And he gives them this miracle bread from heaven called manna to feed them and sustain them, proving once again, you can trust me with your needs in your everyday life. You can trust me. You can place your faith in me. But beyond just their natural appetites, they also have these cravings. These, these desires within them. And again, not like us, but they begin to romanticize the past. And they look back at those days in slavery and they say, oh, do you remember? We used to sit around pots of meat, they say. If only we, we could go back and do that again. Like, remember how good we had it back in slavery? They have these cravings from their time in bondage that in these moments they're wishing they could go back to. But God shows that he can be trusted even in their desires and cravings because he gives them something even greater to fulfill them. You see, they long for the pots of meat they had back in bondage, but God gives them quail from heaven to feed them. God shows them that while, yes, he's the God who can fulfill and be there and be trusted for their necessities, he's also the God when, we, they, bring, when they bring their cravings and desires to him, they don't have to go back to slavery, that he can fulfill those cravings in a good and thriving way. God's people continue to grow in their trust in him, but they go through many different tests, many different trials there in the wilderness. And at one point, they come to this well of water, and, and they're thirsty. They need water, but the water they find there is bitter. The place is called Meribah. They showed, they showed up there, and then their frustration and bitterness came out just like the water. They're bitter about their past. They're bitter about the present and they're bitter that they don't yet have what was promised to them. God, we thought you would solve all these problems. You promised us a promised land. We thought you would make everything okay. We thought once you let us out of slavery, it would be easier. But we still have these issues. We're still facing these things. I thought following you, God, would be a lot easier than it is. They're bitter about what was, about what is, and about what they don't yet have. And God does something here at that bitter well of Meribah. He changes it to pure water to show them that in his power, even the bitterness they have within them about the past and the present and the future can be purified and changed. This is a part of the growth that God has for his people as he leads them. That not only has he set them free from slavery and passed them through the waters, of the past, but that the bitterness that can rise up within them doesn't have to be constantly a reality moving forward, that the bitterness does not have to define your life, that you can move forward with peace even amongst the storm. You can move forward in joy even when times are hard 
and we can move forward with his presence without the bitter waters of the past. And then we've, we've journeyed in this series, we've seen that God leads them to Mount Sinai. He brings his people to some landmark moments and experiences where he reveals new things to them. He shows them truth, new truth. He shows them where their life is out of alignment in places and how they can adjust to his truth. He gives them new experiences and, and worship there at Sinai and, and new experiences with him and his presence. He speaks to them clearly. He begins to reveal to them his law and his ways. Before they were just happy to be out of slavery and I'm just happy to be rescued, but now God shows them that he doesn't want them to just view themselves as an ex-slave, but he wants them to identify themselves as he sees them as sons and his daughters. So he begins to show them their identity and his identity. He shows them a new way of living. He calls them to let go of the way they used to operate and to begin to live as, as, the, as he would have them. He lets them know that, listen, all that murder, all the lust and the anger and the sexual sin and rebellion, the stealing and the lying that was a part of your life back in slavery in your former way, you don't have to live like that any longer. In fact, I want you to live apart from those things. I want you to live a new way. I want you to live as a people who've been set free so that you don't have to lie any longer, that you don't have to steal I want you to live as people who can move forward in joy and peace and contentment so you don't have to lust and, 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 and murder, that you can trust me and you can have faith in me to provide. And so here is my law. And he begins to reveal to them his law and says, I want you to live according to these ways. And these laws aren't to keep people from fun. God's not like this cosmic buzzkill who's like, let me just really ruin their day. Don't murder, you know? No, no, no. He, he begins to show them ways that they can live in healthy community. That if you would live this way, you will protect yourself and the relationships you love most. Follow my way, he says, and your life will thrive and be fulfilling. And that's what the commandments are, an invitation to challenge a challenge to live as God has asked and to obey him. And to obey him, not out of fear, but out of love. He's the God that led them out of slavery. And the people, guess what they do? We see this in Exodus. They say, yes, we will do it. They accept the law. And they have a God who's rescued them and saved them. They have a God who's passed them through the water and destroyed their past. He's, he's proved time and time again he will provide for them. They've learned they can trust him and have faith in him. And so, of course, they say, yes, you've broken our bitterness. Yes, we'll follow these. You've met our needs. You've, you've given us a new way of living, and we want to live your way. But they're human. They're like us. They're like me. And they choose their own way. They break the very law that he gave them. You turn one page and it's like, what happened? They worship other gods. They, they worship idols. They deal in murder and, and lust and adultery. They, they steal and they curse each other and they curse God. But God freed them and, and brought them out to live according to his plan and they completely disregard it. And they sinned and they chose their own path, their own way. And in his anger, he, he was going to move, remove them and, and move on to someone else to take forward, but the, but the mediator, his mediator, stands up on their behalf and pleads that God in his kindness would save them. And he does. And we begin to see time and time again where God in his loving kindness and patience forgives his people of their sin. They wander 
and he brings them back. They, they break the covenant. Remember, Ten Commandments was a marriage covenant. They break the covenant and worship other gods, and he, he forgives them and brings them back. Time and time again they sin, and time and time again his love and his grace draws them back. Are there consequences to their sin? Yes, just like us. There are natural consequences. There's spiritual, relational consequences. And these are part of the people that God wants to begin to, uh, to be left behind in the wilderness because of what he has ahead for them. You see, God is using this spiritual journey in their life to purify his people because there are parts of their life that do not need to make it to the next season. God leads them in the wilderness and through this journey so those places of distrust and disobedience can die off to be ready for what's ahead. And God is going to let some parts of these people completely die off for what he has for them. And finally, God brings them to a place of promise, this place of breakthrough. It's not the end of the story. They face many trials after those things and still struggle. But what we see is a pattern of God bringing his people from slavery, breaking it through sacrifice and salvation, passing them through the water, breaking them free of the pursuit of their past that tries to identify them, and then taking them through the wilderness journey where he disciples them and matures them through life into a people that he wants them to be for what he has for them. God discipled and prepared for them because he has a promised land for them. He has a purpose for them. That's the pattern we see in Exodus. But as you maybe have already seen, it's also the pattern of your life. It's the pattern of, my, of our life, of my life. You see, your story and my story, guess where they begin? Guess where our story begins spiritually? In captivity. We were born into sin and we need a savior. We each have a need for salvation and for freedom. We need saving. Galatians 3.22, but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of our sin. Romans 3.32, for each of us has sinned and fallen short of God's standard and glory. And just like those ancient people, we could not do anything to save ourselves. Your Exodus story starts where theirs does in Romans 5.6. We were utterly helpless and powerless. They couldn't do enough good to be set free from their slavery the same way we cannot do enough good deeds to be set free from ours. They need saving, and we need a savior. God sent them a mediator, Moses, and God sent us a mediator, Jesus. Moses entered the story and goes before slavery and bondage and demands freedom. And Jesus enters the story and goes before sin and bondage and demands your freedom. And through Moses, God shows his incredible power to his people and it culminates with this shedding of the blood of an innocent lamb and he puts it on a wooden doorpost so there would be saving for any inside. And, and our exodus culminates with the shedding of the blood of the lamb on a wooden cross so there would be save, saving for any who would come to him for salvation. You see, God leads his people out of slavery he does for them what they could not do for themselves. And he does for you and I what we could never do for ourselves. Romans 5, 6, we read the first of it. Let's continue. When we were utterly helpless and powerless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us. God, God and his ancient people, out of, he brought them out of bondage and, and into freedom. In Galatians 5, 1, it says, so Christ has truly 
set us free. But, but what happens after this? Pharaoh, the slave master, pursues God's people and he wants to take them back into bondage. And if you've, if you've experienced salvation in, in Jesus at some point in your life, you know all too well that there is an enemy who pursues you to bring you back to the bondage that you used to live in. Your sin, your past pursues you. It condemns you with, it, with shame. Our past is not done with us and wants to bring us back to our former identity as a slave. And what does God do in Exodus? He destroys the power of the past and smashes the shackles of the former bondage. Pharaoh is never seen again. And you, God wants to bring you freedom from your past that enslaved you, that sin and death. He wants to, def he wants to define you based on his son Jesus, not based on your sin and your shame. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new creation. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. That spiritually, when you are brought out of this slavery to G with, with, uh, by Jesus, we are a new creation. Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. Condemnation, remember, is, is the enemy's tactic to shame you and have you go from God. That's condemnation. And conviction is God's spirit revealing truth to you and calling you to come to God, even in the places where we, are, we have sin, to come towards God for forgiveness. And because you belong to him, the power of the living spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We are now new creations, freed from condemnation. We're not defined by our past any longer. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Forget the past. Look forward at what lies ahead. Press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling you. So what about your old master? What about our past? Colossians 2, 13 and 15. You were dead and in slavery because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God, what did he do? He rescued you and he made you alive with Christ and he forgave all your sins. But what about that ownership of your past life? He continues, God canceled the record of charges against you. He took it and he nailed it to a cross. The cross. Where are the charges against you? The spiritual charges, they are nailed to a cross. In this way, God disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He smashed our past. You are no longer, your, your past no longer has any spiritual rights against you because of what Jesus has done. And I want to pause here because for some of you, you have not yet followed Jesus in these first steps. You haven't placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior so that he can draw you out and bring you out. Now, maybe you've, you've been around church and maybe you've been you know, contemplating these things. Perhaps it is you've been injured and wounded by a church in your childhood. And I, I heard so many of your stories and I get it. But you have not yet placed your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. And he died for you to give you freedom and new life, to draw you out of what was. John 3, 16, we know it, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
And for some of you here today, today may be the day where you declare faith in Jesus and let him be, draw you out of the slavery and into a new life. We had many in the first service who prayed to declare Jesus as their Savior. And our prayers, our prayer team has been praying that for you today, whether in this room or following with us, that this would be a day where you pray to receive Jesus. It says in Romans 10, 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so for those of you here today, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, it has led you here. And, and I want to pray with us today and give you an opportunity to, to declare openly that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And so if that's you, I would like you to pray with me. So would you guys all pray with me and, and repeat out loud, say, Father, I need you. I need rescue. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. I place my faith in you. Take my sin. Take my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that with me this morning, wherever you are, I want you to, I want you to email me. My email is in the bulletin. It's on our website. Will you email me? We want to be journey with you on this. What happened after God freed his people in Exodus? He called them to pass through the water of cleansing and leave behind them their old life into a new life ahead of them. He parts the Red Sea and they pass through it. And God is also asking you to pass through the waters in baptism. That you would be baptized to publicly show what you have privately put your faith in. Colossians 2.12, for you were buried with Christ. Think of baptism. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Mark 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. We are to follow Jesus through the waters and be baptized just as God's ancient people passed through the waters to leave their life behind. Acts 3, I'm sorry, Acts 2.38, Peter says this in his first sermon. He says, each of you, talking to all these people who don't yet know God, each of you must repent from your sin, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And for some of us, we have followed Jesus in salvation. We have followed Jesus by placing our faith in him, but we have not followed him through the waters of baptism. And baptism, I'll be clear, is not a requirement for salvation, but it's something that he has asked us to do. Baptism is the first step of obedience after we come to Jesus. And many of us, after being led out of slavery, being led out of our old life and, and coming to believe in Jesus, the first thing we do is say, no, not yet. Like, not me. And we have all the reasons. We have all the rules. And my challenge to you is it's, it's time for many of you us to put our pride down, our fear down, and pass through the waters as God has asked. You've been putting it off because maybe it is pride or maybe, you know, I've heard, I've heard them all. I'm too old, I'm too young. I've heard um, it's, it's been far too long. People just think I'm baptized. It would be embarrassing if I had to get up there. Or, or here's one, I, I just don't wanna. You know, that's, that's an honest one. But it's time for many of us to get baptized and follow Jesus in this amazing experience that he's called us to. And so if that's you, if, if any part of you is convicted that, that you know what, I, I, I need to be baptized. I know God's calling me to this and I've been putting it off. The email's right there. Will you email us and say, 
I want to start this process. We had, we had three this, this week, and Pastor Dan and, and Doug, many of their meetings, they have had three people receive Jesus and sign up for baptism. So you're going to see us begin to, this coming month, begin to baptize some people, and we would love to have you be a part of this. Finally, for many of you, you've been freed by God in salvation at some point. You've been baptized, and now you are somewhere on your journey with God. You've been to the tops of mountains. You've been in the wilderness. You've been in the, in the valleys. You've seen him fulfill your needs in the past at different times. You've seen him come through for you and, and, and do things for you that you could not do on your own. He sustained you when you thought you wouldn't make it. And perhaps you're in one of these seasons right now. You're in, you're in desperate need of God. God I, God, I need you to come through in this area. And it could be finances, relationally. It could be health, emotions. The same God who gave manna to his people for their needs has fresh manna for us in our life today. And like them, he's wanting you to trust him in a whole new way moving forward. And for some of us, we have been drinking this bitter water of Meribah like they did in Exodus. I mean, I've said this and I've heard it. God, I thought it would be easier like I did, I did it. I, I, I prayed the prayer, I did the thing. I thought it would be easier after that. I, like I thought you would keep us healthy. I thought you'd protect my kids. I thought if we did this good thing, you'd protect us from the bad things. But it didn't happen. And, and some of us have these needs and this bitterness in us because we aren't in the slavery we used to be, but we're not yet where we want to be. And where we feel like he's promised us this promised land. And life has thrown at us some, some curveballs and some, some diagnosis. And some divorce and some dysfunction. For many of us, our deepest hopes and desires have gone unmet or broken. And for those of us with these needs that God has not met, or, or dealing with, with these circumstances that are, are difficult and crushing, these things that lead to discontentment and, and bitterness, like God's people back then, we need him to come through for us now. We need God's comfort and peace in the present. But not just his peace, we need, we need his power. God, will you move on our behalf? God, will you move in my relationship or lack thereof? Will you move in my health or my loved one's health? Will you, will you move for my children who have wandered or my, my parents? in your places of need and in desperation, just like these ancient people. God, we need you to come through. We need you. And for, for those of you who are in this place, I'm gonna, I have a prayer for you as well. And for you, I want you to place your hand over your heart as you pray with me, just that God would move in our hearts and pray with me. Say, Father, I need you. Pray with me, church. I need you. And then I want you in the privacy of your own heart to tell them those places. Tell God the places you need him to move, that you want him to move. God, in your kindness, you hear every one of our hearts and our needs and you know them. Father, we ask you to move in great power in us, in our loved ones, Father, we, your church, we know you are the same God. And so in the name of your son, Jesus, we ask you to move in power in our lives.
Amen. The truth is that this book of Exodus that seems so ancient and so old is a mirror we can hold up and we can see so much of ourself, so much clarity of our own selves in the places that we're unsure. For many of us, here's what I've been hearing so much of. Daniel, what's my, what's my purpose? What does God want from me? And I, I, God is, God is going to begin to reveal what he has for you in the present and the future moving forward. In the places where, where I believe we are insecure or unsure, God wants to give us new boldness as a church. Because I, we, we pray this a lot, that we would be a church who's just crazy enough to take him at his word, believe he is who he says he is, and leave this place and live like he's asked us to live and illuminate Jesus to love God and love people and see him bring spiritual awakening to our friends and family and region. God is preparing each of you for what is next. He is growing things into you for what he has for you. He's taking all of us on this journey of Exodus to work some things out and build some things in because there is purpose and breakthrough. And much of what God wants to accomplish through your life tomorrow can't happen on today's faith. And it's time for us to step out in bold faith. And so we are being grown and matured to follow him. And that's, that's the ultimate test. Would they follow him? And will we follow him? Will you follow him? And I know in a sermon like this, these sermons are oftentimes catalysts. And we can't expect a sermon to be with us all week. We can't expect this to, to be with us all the rest of our life. And I know some of you have big hurts and big needs in prayer. Places you want someone to pray with you. And we have a prayer team here that, that confidentially will pray with you. And so I'm going to have some of my prayer team who's here today, elders and prayer team, to, to meet in the back. Or we will have a few up here in the front. But please, if you have a need that you would like for someone to pray for you on, please go to them. Ask them for prayer in these areas. And Orchard, let us stand and worship because we have a God who brought us out of our Egypt, who brings us out of our slavery, who takes us on a journey to pour into us so we have greater faith and trust and love to follow him. Father God, we thank you for your word that is beautiful and reflects back to us. And Father, we don't want to be people who look in the mirror of your word and see where we're out of alignment and just leave and forget about it. We want to adjust to your truth in this place. So Father, where we are out of alignment with our life, I pray that you and your, and your uh, kindness and truth would bring us back into alignment. Forgive us our sins and may we walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.